Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Your life is a constant conversation with God. You may not think of it that way, but ever since you were conscious of who you are and conscious of life, your life has been a constant conversation with God. And you live, and I live, we all live in God's universe. God created you. That reality and all the realities because of that are unavoidable. But when you try to create your own life, try to think of your life as your own and create your own life, try to live in your own universe, so to speak, your life gets offline with the real universe. Your life gets offline with reality. Psalm 107 poetically paints four images of what that might look like in your life, what it looks like in people's lives. The question is, when you're reading through the Psalms in a meditative way that's wanting to pray scripture back to God, that's wanting to worship God through the Psalms. Again, we're not doing a Bible study at that point. There's a place for that, and it's important to have an understanding of these Psalms in that kind of way. But when I'm praying through the Psalms, when I'm wanting to have a conversation with God, when I'm wanting to do a devotional, I'm more interested in finding ways that this Psalm resonates with me, paints a picture poetically, an image that makes my imagination see something true about my life and true about my relationship with God. And this psalm is filled with four different images of what it might look like in someone's life when they try to live in their own reality outside of the real universe that we're in because we live in God's universe. Now, the question is, I think these all resonate at different times for me. The question is, do these resonate with you in some way? They're kind of like the four soils in the parable of the four soils in Matthew chapter 13. I think for me, I slip in and out of those kind of those four soils at different times in my life that I don't think any one of them uniquely only describes my life. I think that they all to some degree at different times in my life, describe my heart and describe my conversation with God, my reality with God, how I'm thinking about God and responding to him and what that looks like in my life. And I think that's true for these four images in Psalm 107 as well. I think they all, to some degree, describe me at different times. The question is, am I open to how God might use these images to sort of wake me up to the reality my life is in right now, be kind of a mirror that shows my life right now. And these last episodes that we've been looking at, what I've been trying to do is give you confidence to be honest with God with where you are, rather than trying to muster up a, a kind of image with God, sort of we have this public image on our social media. And in some sense, we try to have a public, a spiritual image with God. I don't think consciously, because I think we know we can't fool God, but we try to, in a sense, present a certain kind of person image to God when we pray. What I've been trying to encourage us to do is to just be honest. God knows, and we want to walk in the light, and we want to be honest about our sin. 
And so when we understand that Christ is our mediator, that it's not our sin or lack of sin that is determining God's love for us and our stand with God, then we are free to be honest and to actually bring our sin to God and be honest and reflect more deeply about where we are spiritually. I hope that happens in this episode by us looking at Psalm 107. And it starts with the exact same phrase that we read in the first verse of Psalm 106. So Psalm 107 verse 1 says, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So that's setting the foundation for everything it's going to talk about, and it should set the foundation in our lives as we consider the ways that our lives might be broken and we're experiencing dysfunction spiritually we have to have that be our base camp, that we, we're doing this because we are able to give thanks to the I am, for he is good, his will for us is good, and he loves you individually, personally, specifically. His steadfast love endures forever. From that foundation, then we can consider and bring the light of God's light into our darkness. So now let me read the first two verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. This psalm is starting out sort of telescoping to the end, actually the beginning of this reality that the Bible promises, that there's going to be this community that's gathered from all the lands, this global promise from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. This is the language of the Bible's larger story. We see this in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 7, 9. John is seeing a vision of this community that's gathered, that this verse is talking about in verse 2, this community of the redeemed, those who are gathered from exile, from slavery, from prison, from danger, all the things that are going to be talked about in this psalm. This is the gathered, the redeemed from all the lands, from east, from west, from north, from south. It says in Revelation 7, 9, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. In other words, that's symbolic imagery that they were cleansed before God and they stood before God, a new community, before their king and beginning the kingdom of God. So again, the Psalms are always bringing us back to this bigger story, and we need to always have this bigger story as the foundation that we're always remembering. We're not forgetting to remember the works that God has done for us and all that he is for us and promises us in Christ. So give thanks to the I am, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And now it's going to talk about how this forever begins, so to speak, with the kingdom of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those that are gathered from exile. Now, literally, the Israelites were exiled, 
But exile is also the metaphor in Genesis 3 when God banishes Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, and there's an angel, these carabine that have a sword, flaming sword that guards the way back into Eden. Heaven has left earth, and now earth is filled with thorns and thistles and dust and death. This is the human condition. Humanity has lost our special status from being created in the image of God to rule over his creation, to reflect his love, to live in his glory, continue his work of creation, partner with God in this glorious work of caring for animals, caring for the earth, caring for all things in God's image that's been lost to some degree, although it still is our instinct, which is why we have you know, animal rights movements and, and, and environmental movements, and these are all tapping into that instinct that we are the stewards of the earth and we are stewards of the welfare of all animals on earth. But we don't think of it in terms of living in the glory of God and caring for God's creation in God's image and reflecting his love toward the earth and toward the environment and toward animals and toward one another in a godlike kind of way that exercises godlike grace oriented humility, dominion over the earth. But this is being brought back through Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And so the Bible's always bringing us back to this story. When Christ returns, that's the beginning. It's not the end. It's the end of this age, this broken age, this age of dust and death and thorns and thistles. But it's the beginning of what God has always intended the earth to be, the world to be, your life to be and why you're created in the image of God. It's the beginning of the restoration. It's the beginning of what is called the great reversal. Jesus uses this kind of great reversal language in, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, so happy, flourishing, fulfilled are the poor in spirit now, so to speak, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek now, for they will inherit the earth. It's the reversal of everything you think. We think pride and self-assertion is the way that we gain power and glory and greatness. And the great reversal is that that's going to just do nothing but bring you to nothing. And those who inherit the earth will be those who are meek. Those who will be satisfied are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness now. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are willing to be insulted and persecuted now for the sake of Christ. That's the great reversal Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes, the blessed are those who part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Psalm 107 is kind of doing the same thing in some way. It's talking about those who are in in not the greatest circumstances now of privilege according to the world standards, are those who are going to be the redeemed, the gathered from exile, brought back from the exile of Genesis 3 into the kingdom of God on earth, into this Eden that spreads throughout the earth. We live in exile now, but the promise of the kingdom of God is that we return from exile. We're the redeemed. We're the gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And the reason I just dwelled on that for so long is because this is the poetic imagery of the Psalms. And the Psalms is always trying to keep this as our focus for why we endure in our faith, 
why we run the race, why we fight the good fight of faith, why we don't want to get hijacked from this story, because there are all these false promises out there that are still in this battle zone that we're in because we live in a world with other kingdoms vying against the kingdom of God. And so there are these false promises that are trying to rip us out of the true narrative. And so the psalm uses common biblical imagery to talk about those who had been at least temporarily ripped out of the real narrative. So the first one, we're going to look at the first two today, and then we're going to look at the last two in the next episode. The first way we live in sort of this exiled life now is some wandered in verse four, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. This is common biblical language, this idea of being in a desert wasteland. We saw so many Psalms of David when he was literally out in the desert and using that as an image, a poetic imagination to describe his soul in this thirsty state, in this lonely state, this place of hunger and just being exhausted from being in the desert. And this this is imagery asking you, are you are you lost? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you lonely? Are you exhausted from just being in this desert wasteland? Like what David talked about in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This psalm is saying the same thing, that some are in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It says some wandered in the desert. They're, they're, they're just lost. They're thirsty. They're hungry. They're lonely. They're exhausted. Hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them, it says. Jesus uses this imagery when he refers to himself as the living water and also refers to himself when he was out in the wilderness as the bread of heaven, the bread of life. So it says in verse 6, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. This is poetic language. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Now, the translators provide that word things, but it's really in the Hebrew that the hungry soul he fills with good. This is the promise of the Bible's narrative that in our exile, in our lostness, our desert waste journeying, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're lonely, we're exhausted. And the promise of the Bible, the promise of the gospel is that only the I am fills and satisfies that longing and fills our hungry soul with what is good. Mary quotes this psalm, this very line in Luke chapter 1, verse 53. She quotes this, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. She says this talking about her pregnancy with Jesus. Jesus, of course, talks this language, like I said, referring to himself as the living water and the bread of life. This is the Bible's imagery that we saw in Genesis where Abraham and his descendants are wandering in the desert, Abraham, and then Isaac, and then 
Jacob are wandering in the desert, they're sojourners. And so Hebrews in the New Testament picks up on that and says, By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So this is this one big long narrative in the Bible is giving us metaphors, giving us imagery, giving us pictures of what our life is like this side of the resurrection, what our life is like in this exile. So verse 13 of, again, I'm still in Hebrews 11, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Verse 16, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And that's why the language of the last two chapters of the New Testament of the Bible in Revelation 21 and 22 is talking about this city, this new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven back to earth and is describing that city in metaphorical language because this is this picture, this imagery, this, if you, you have to, again, be in the mindset of people back then when to be out in the wilderness was a very dangerous place to be because, you know, how do you provide for yourself where there's no water, there's no food? To be in a city was to be a place of refuge and protection and provision. So the Bible in Psalm 107 here is using that imagery to talk about our lives when we're not living in the reality of God's universe. We're wandering in desert wastes. We're hungry. We're thirsty. Our soul is fainting. We don't know it, but we're longing for the city of God. And the promise is he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good. What we as readers are supposed to do now is to reflect on our own lives and to think of ways that we're in some sense wandering in desert wastes. We're not satisfied. Our soul hungers for something that nothing in this world can satisfy, a kind of goodness, a kind of food, a kind of water. Our thirst, our hunger is for something we can't quite pinpoint but the gospel's message, the Bible's message, is that it's Yahweh himself. Christ said it was him himself. So remember what God said in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. What are the ways that you have tried to Satisfy your longings, satisfy your soul's longings, your thirst, your hunger in ways other than the only one that's going to satisfy it. And you're still wandering in the desert. In some sense, you're still living in exile. And it's exhausting. And you need to just do what this psalm says. Let them just cry out to God in their trouble, in their distress. Cry out for his steadfast love. Cry out for his wondrous works because he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good. The second scenario is verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons. In the days that this was written, prisons were often dark pits below ground. And so they were, they were dark, 
dungeony places. And that's the image that this psalm wants you to have of what it looks like to live a life in chains, to live a life in darkness, to live a life as a prisoner in affliction and irons. Verse 11, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. They had somehow gotten seduced by false promises of another narrative, false promises of another kingdom. And what they were told would bring freedom actually made them prisoners in chains and behind bars in dark dungeons, weighed down with shame, weighed down with darkness and misery. And they, the reason why it says is because they had rebelled against the words of God. They had spurned the counsel of the Most High. What are the ways that you have willingly rebelled against the words of God and willingly spurned the counsel of the Most High? And again, the reason I'm asking this is not to pile on and make you feel shame, but to shine light in darkness so that you can find freedom. How has repeated sins become chains for you? How has repeatedly rebelling against the words of God and spurning his counsel become a dark prison, a dungeon, has put you behind bars and you're not free? You thought it would bring freedom, but it hasn't brought freedom at all. It's just brought more and more chains and darkness. So it says in verse 13, Then they cried, to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his, here we go again, his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. This psalm is the imagery we see in the New Testament when Jesus appears to Paul on his way to Damascus, and he knocks him to the ground, and he says, according to Paul, he says to Paul, Jesus is commissioning him to go to the Gentiles, and he says, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This imagery in the Bible of being in darkness is a metaphor for being under the power of Satan, living in darkness. And Jesus just straight up says, this is the gospel, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. When I'm praying through this psalm and I read this imagery, I'm meant to look at myself and, and what are the ways that I'm just living in darkness and I'm being fooled by the lies of Satan. I need the gospel promise of God's steadfast love and his goodness and his and his presence with me that endures forever, his wondrous works that he has done to deliver me from darkness, to deliver me from the bonds of my own stupid choices my rebelling against his words and the prison that that puts me in because I live in God's universe. And when I ignore God's counsel, when I spurn the counsel of the most high, that's going to mess up my life. That's going to put me in prisons. That's going to put me in darkness and dungeons and chains. 
So the Apostle Paul picks up on this same metaphor in Ephesians 5a, and he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So in other words, this is who you are, so be who you are. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. He's saying what the Apostle John said, live in the light and let the light expose and bring your sins to God so you can walk in light and walk in freedom and walk in fellowship with God and with one another rather than walking in falsehood and darkness because you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. He's the atoning sacrifice for your sins, so you don't, you don't have to pretend, you don't have to deny, you don't have to blame. You can just let the chains go. Call upon God to free you from your chains. Call upon Christ to bring you out of the dungeons and the darkness and to bring you into his light. Imagine this. Picture this. The chains, the bars, the darkness, the dungeon, the pit, the prison of being in bondage to the deeds of darkness. You thought they would bring freedom. They just brought more chains. But God can burst your bonds apart. God can bring you out of darkness and out of the shadow of death and into his light for because of his steadfast love endures forever. And he is good and his wondrous works are good. And so we can call upon, it says here, let them call, let them cry to the Lord. That's what we can do. You and I can cry to God, cry to Jesus as our bread of life, as our living water, and say, I've been trying to find satisfaction, Lord, in all these other places, but they are just a desert land, and I'm just wandering in the desert, and I am exhausted, and I am lonely, and I am thirsty, and I am hungry, and I can't always keep trying to find satisfaction in these broken cisterns. They can't hold water. They look like they can, but they're broken. And I'm rejecting the fountain of living waters in order to find some broken cistern that can't hold water. And it's not satisfying me. It's keeping me in the desert and I'm exhausted, and I'm lonely, and I'm hungry, and my body is faint, and I call upon you to bring me into your living water, your fountain of living water, to bring me into your bread of life that satisfies my soul. Bring me into your city, whose architect and builder is God. The city that comes down from heaven and comes back to earth is what I truly long for. And I want to live in that story. I want to pursue you because you have already begun this, not only on earth, but in my life by your Holy Spirit. I am a temple of your Holy Spirit who indwells me. Your Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance to come. You have promised this bigger story to me because of your steadfast love. Forgive me for all the ways that I have rebelled against your word and I have spurned your counsel because I thought my own will was freedom. I thought that that over there was going to provide a better promise than your promise of living water, your promise of the bread of life. 
And so I rebelled against your words, and I have spurned your counsel, and it has brought nothing but chains and darkness, and put me behind bars in a dark dungeon. And I pray for your deliverance. I pray for your mercy. I pray for your grace that you would open my eyes and turn me from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that I would be able to walk in your inheritance as a co-heir with Christ more and more, that I would be transformed from one degree of glory to the next as I contemplate your glory. You alone satisfy my longing soul. You alone fill my hungry soul with what is good. You alone break the bonds apart of darkness and bondage to sin and bondage to the false promises of the power of Satan. And you bring me into your light. You bring me into your big blue open sky of freedom. And that's where I want to live. In the freedom and the big blue sky joy of walking in your promises, living in your kingdom, following your word, submitting to your counsel, journeying toward your city, your kingdom, the new Jerusalem that you have already begun in the resurrection of Jesus. This is the light I want to live in. This is the water I want to drink. This is the food I want to eat. This is the city I want to live in. And I thank you that this is your promise for me, all that you are for me in Christ. These promises of all that you are for me in Christ are far more satisfying than the false promises of sin. And so I submit to Jesus as my king, as my living water, as my bread of life, as my light and my deliverer. And I follow him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.